is teaching us anything it's all about our health and annie is an absolutely amazing guest to talk to on health no she's not a doctor <laughs> she doesn't wear a white coat but she's written, she's an author. She's written many books. Um, one which we'll, um, she'll show tonight is The Pooh and You, and she will have another one that she will bring up. She's also a raw food, um, she teaches raw food, has raw food um, retreats. But more importantly for me, and as most of you know, that I only have people on my show that walk their talk. Annie walks her talk, doesn't bullshit, does, doesn't use fancy words, will just tell it to you straight. And yes, she is. A, she lives her life by raw food. So, Annie, thanks for joining me tonight. Um, it's, we're going to have an amazing conversation. Yeah, thank you, Sandra. Thanks for having me. Now, before we get going, now I know you're a bit of an adventurous. You like to you like to push your fear. Yes. And you do something each year because we were chatting last week about that. What is the most the biggest fear that you conquered that you've done? Oh, last year I decided I'd go and do a stand-up comedy course. That's where you actually go and learn the craft, the microphone craft of going on stage in front of a pub of sometimes inebriated people and you somehow have to hold that audience for five minutes and do a stand-up routine. And, and what makes you, what drives you to do something that pushes you through your fear each year? Because I think when you do something that terrifies you, you push through that fear. I mean, it's still there. Fear's not a bad thing. Fear's not a bad I don't see it as a bad thing. I see it as something to look at and it will help you. It will shape you on some level. So for me, standing up in front of a, an audience of a friendly crowd. They were a friend. They weren't a whole, They weren't throwing tomatoes at me or broccoli. They were basically laughing. I, I couldn't believe it. I actually got laughs. And um, and our instructor, which was really cool, actually helped us to craft our delivery so that we would in fact not die on stage. That was good. So, Annie, what does that do when you do push past your fear? I know it's not on the subject what we're talking about, but, I, I mean, everyone's got fear, but what did it do for your self-esteem and your self-worth and your confidence to push past that and do that? It just made me go, all right, okay, you did that, so you can tackle something else. So, as you know, I also was overseas in the middle of this, uh, this virus and this pandemic and I was actually in a Thai hospital having an operation. That was another fear. So I went ahead with something in March. I actually got it done and uh, got in by the, you know, the skin of my teeth. Again, I don't think I would have... See, one fear thing leads to another. That's what I'm trying to say. You conquer one thing and you're then able to conquer the next thing and then something else comes along and then they get bigger. They don't get simpler. They just get bigger, the fears. So that's how I look at it, yeah. Good. That's that's awesome. And we met a few. Oh, Jesus, Annie! I think it would have been five or six years ago yep. at a um, goddess. Um, yep. With Natalie, with Nat. Absolutely beautiful, Nat. Yeah. 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 Um, um, yeah I'm, not, I'm not looking up to you, but I liked you as soon as I met you because you you use the word shit a lot, but <laughs> it's like you um, you want to cut through and. It takes a lot. Most people are not authentic. 
they're not. They try to be, and I love that. I love that about all of us, and I'm in that category too. But when I am my most authentic, um, I seem to meet the people who meet that frequency, and that's that's why it's important to be on that frequency when I'm out there and meeting people. Check yourself. Check in. Are you being real, Annie? Is this real? Yeah, this is me. I'm being real. Bang. I meet the authentic people. I meet the good people. Oh, thank you, Annie. And I also saw you again. Uh, you gave me a little bottle of grapefruit oil from doTERRA because I know you um, got a, uh, on the other side of what you do, your oils and everything, little bottle of grapefruit and you just dropped in and no... No label on it, just a little bottle you, you dropped into the to the centre when it was running and gave everybody and just went, okay. No, I think this is what you need and, yeah, yeah. so. Um, I remember that. I remember that, yeah, yeah. So, so and then we met again at when you spoke yep. at. Um, one of the expos? No, not one of the expos. I listened to you there, but it was also at Kelly Beverly's um, Goddess when oh. Kelly was doing it at her house as well. Isn't that a lovely event? Yeah. It was. It was. Yeah. So um, I've and I know that you've got a lot. You've got a lot of knowledge, and I've got a lot of respect for you. And you asked me the other day, why did I reach out to you and ask you to come on my show? And yeah. I said to you, it's because you're so authentic and so real. And and that's who I want on my show. I don't want the fluffy bunnies. I don't want anybody like that. I want somebody that's real. And you are so. I have to do my research to find these people. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, they always turn up when I when when I go. Okay, universe, who's next? Yeah. And yeah. That that's who that's who turns up. So we we're on that level. We're we're on that similar similar vibration. So we'll get onto what we're on onto the show. So Annie, how did you start out in the whole food health journey? It wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an art. Oh, raw food. Sorry, raw food. Yeah, I wanted to be an art teacher, but. Um Cut a very long story short, I was working as a young girl, as a receptionist for a lift installation company. Now, I'm the person that you ring up when you're stuck in a lift, right? Because the phone number of the installer is just underneath the triple O number and invariably if you got stuck in a lift, I'd be the girl in the office and they'd ring me up and I'd have to calm them down. and I'm telling you, this is how it went down. I would have to page the lift mechanics who were down in the pub in Swan Street, Richmond, get them out of the pub to come and get these poor people out of the lifts. I'm not kidding. So the job was very dull. I only got one of those phone calls a week and I got one invoice to type up a week. So it forced me to, um, I'm, I can't do nothing. I like to do stuff. So it forced me, I thought, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to write out all my recipes because I liked making food. I'm going to write all them out. I'm going to make a little recipe book. So I was typing away and these guys that worked at this place, they were spending most of their time down the pub so they didn't realise I'm typing away, doing all these recipes, you know, in an old typewriter and I developed this passion for healthy food then and then I go home and I create the recipes and, so I put that first little book together. It was called Good Health Recipes from Breakfast to Tea. And I was studying health and nutrition at night uh, through uh, a college called Southern School of Natural Therapies. And I was doing a fitness leader award course as well, which is to be an aerobics instructor. So 
So that's how it all started. And then I started working in health food shops. So what I did, Sandra, was I I turned a boring, horrible job where I was treated very badly by the guys that worked there. Um, you know the sort of environment where you walk out the back of the office and there's all these calendars? Yeah. And they're, ba they're basically women. I'm staring at vaginas all day. That's what's hanging up on the wall, you know what I mean? And I'm thinking, wow, you could see what how they felt about women. So I decided I was going to turn a bad situation into something good. Hence this book came about. That little book, I actually turned it into a printed book and I sold it to health food shops all over Melbourne. Wow. Yeah, like door to door. I went into the store and said, here's my book. They buy a dozen copies because the recipes in the book were exactly what they needed to sell their produce in their store because the only books available back then, I'm talking the 80s, were books from America and they had American ingredients. So I was coming up with um, with raw food and cooked baked goods too um, that were just that were using these ingredients that would otherwise not be sold in the shop. And how old were you? I was 24. 24. Wow. Yeah, I started writing no recipes when I was 13. So wow. I had a little brown book and I put all my recipes in the little brown book because um, this is interesting. I know this is not one of the questions that we talked oh, about. Just let it flow. All right, well, I was 13 years old and my brother brought home a girlfriend. Now, I'm in a carnivore full-on family at this stage. My brother brings home a vegetarian for dinner and my mum goes into a major panic. And I can remember it was like a light bulb moment. I can remember sitting down to this meal. Well, first of all, mum said, what am I going to make her? What am I going to make her? I said, mum, let's make, we'll make her a salad. It's easy. Let's do a salad. So we, I put together the most beautiful salad and no disrespect to my beautiful mum. But she served up these burnt lamb chops and overcooked vegetables. And all of us are sitting around the family dining room table with the burnt lamb chops and the stodgy veg. And my brother's girlfriend, sitting down to this salad which looked magnificent and it was almost like a light bulb went on you know like like a beam of light came down from heaven or whatever and you could hear the angels it was like why am i not eating that salad why am i sitting here eating burnt lamb chops and the stodgy what i should be having the salad i'm 13. so from that day on i started to get a little bit more involved with my food at home much to my poor mum's it must have been hard for her because when you're a mum and you go I've got four brothers and all they want to do is get the meal done you know it's it's not so much let's be fiddly and I've and all of a sudden she's got this 13 year old because I was 13 who wants to create healthier food so when I was 16 and a half I moved out of home so I could have my own kitchen and I did yeah, and I think it's, uh, and, and I really, um, I've been on a journey, I haven't been, not completely raw, but we've been on a very much a vegan journey for the last 18 months. There's a little bit of meat comes into it now and again, a bit of chicken or fish. But I will say that it is the best decision that I ever made for my body. Yeah, and it's lighter, isn't it? It's about eating lighter. And, and it's not only about eating fibre, it's about you feel lighter. You've got more energy. 
And if somebody would have told me um, two years ago, Sandra, you'll be doing, I'll be like, I'll get out of it. I wasn't a really big meat eater, but um, I came back from, a, I was down in Wagga doing some work down in Wagga and we drove back and we we're only home a night, one night and we we're going to the markets the next day and um, Rebecca said to me, well, what are we going to buy? So I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to do shopping, but I'm not eating meat. That's it. Off of it. Yeah. Just like that. And everyone said to me, you won't survive, but you do. And I, you thrive. And you do thrive, yeah. And the animal, the whole thing about uh, looking after animals and being very aware of the plight of the animals, that came into me a little bit later. But initially it was about eating fresh, but also um, breaking down the ingredients. And when I worked in the health food shops, that was fantastic because that gave me that gave me this retail environment. I was seeing people were coming in and they'd walk past the ingredients like the cornmeal and the gluten-free flour and the chickpeas. That, back in the 80s, they did know, not know what to do with them. And I remember saying to my boss at the time, Graham, I said, Graham, how about I take a couple of these things home and I go home to my lab, which was a kitchen, <laughs> and I create something. I write up the recipe. I bring it back into the shop. We put all the ingredients that have gone into the recipe because he had fresh produce as well. And then we print out the recipe and we give that to the customers when they came in. Now, I'm not saying I'm the only one that contributed to Graham's success, but I have to tell you that shop business was booming because people were coming in. They were The poor devils, they came in for a bag of rice. They'd go out with basically a pantry full of ingredients. <laughs> had the ammunition, Sandra, they had the ammunition to actually create something and they had the um, the enthusiasm and the passion that came out of myself and Graham and the other girl that worked in the shop and then off they went to their world. And that was my humble beginnings. It was just you have to think, I don't know, I learned it back then, you have to think from your customer's point of view. You've got to make it easy for them. You've got to you've got to encourage them by actually providing something that's edible and i had so many gluten-free bricks i can't tell you there was some disaster <laughs> what i created terrible even today i still have disasters with some of the things i make you know i'm not particularly that good as a cook i'm not i don't profess to be i don't cook i like fresh food i like i like soups i like simple stuff that's all there is to it and that leads me to the conversation that the, the the talk that I heard you speaking um, at Callie's, and you spoke about gluten, and you on your you believe, and you you are you are rock solid on this that it is worse than drink driving. It makes you absolutely. Yeah. I'll tell you why. Because at the moment we have some um, we have unprecedented threats on our respiratory system and our lungs, and our digestive system. So what's happening is that. When you bring in stodge into your body, I consider that a burden. It's just another burden. It's not the end of the world if you have a salad roll once a week. It's not a problem. But if every day you're eating something that's got wheat or gluten or flour in it, your body doesn't really know what to do with it. It won't break it down as easily. In fact, you remember making clag at school? Remember when we <laughs> added flour and water? Glue. Yep. Inside your body, it is a form of glue. It's even worse because it coats the gastric mucosa. So if you can imagine you've got a bowl and if you want to put in that bowl a whole layer of flour, 
and then you want to put your ingredients. Whatever you put in there is going to have all that flour on it. So then when your body is trying to, your internal employees are trying to break that down, it's like they have to work harder to get the nutrients. Any time your internal employees are working harder to try and get nutrition, you're going to make yourself tired. It's going to make you sleepy. And that's why when people go on these road trips and they stop on the side of the road, they go to the petrol station and they fill up with their fuel and they say, what the heck, I'm going to get my toasted ham, cheese and tomato sandwich and down it with a can of Coke or a soft drink. Ten minutes later, they're going to fall asleep behind that steering wheel because they've just created a mini coma for themselves. I spoke to road trauma about this. They were fascinated. They, I said to them, police shouldn't only be worried about pulling someone over for drink driving. They should say, excuse me, ma'am or sir, have you had any gluten today? Because that's going to be an issue, you know. That's definitely going to be an issue, all right? Sorry, I'll just turn that off. So these are the big things that I think of. I think, well, what's going on? What are people doing? What are they... Um, taking into their body and how much is work is it going to involve for them to break it down? I got a phone <laughs> ring. Yeah, <laughs> throw it out. I'm back in a minute. Back in a minute. Oh, I hope everyone's enjoying our my my chat with um with Annie because you know like it um when i heard annie speaking about the gluten and and driving it was a quite timely for me because the next day i was jumping in a car and driving to townsville do you yeah. think i had any gluten no i didn't i made sure when i stopped i had fruit or and i don't drink soft drinks anyway uh but yeah, yeah it really it it's 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 there in my head because i heard you say that and and i know myself if i do and i've tried if i do eat gluten or flour, I do feel tired. But if I don't eat it during the day, I've got lots and lots of energy. That's and good. if I have some bread, because if I, I exercise three times a week for personal trainer at the moment, if I have some bread for lunch, I don't have the energy in the afternoon to really truly train properly. But if I don't have that, and I have something else. I'm full of energy, yep. and it's it doesn't make me um, tired. And I'm and I'm not bloated. My stomach's not bloated. But I know we, we've got other questions here, but I really want to keep going with this, Annie. Now, you talk about internal employees. Yeah, and I okay. love the way you explain this because you explain it in plain, basic English. So yeah. for those that don't know what internal employees are, yeah. would you like to explain them, how you would explain it to your client? Uh, so I look at the body as a factory and in your mouth you've got a foreman. And the foreman is basically your saliva and your enzymes that are greeting whatever you're eating, right? So whatever you're eating has to go through the mouth first. And generally I always say that's the first place where we always stuff up because most people, they gulp their food down, they eat too fast or they allow themselves to be distracted. So they're eating while they're watching TV, all right? And when you do that, you're not present with the art of eating. The internal employees... They run all the way down the esophagus. They're in the gut. They're in the stomach. They're all the little people. I can imagine them having a job description ready for They've got hard helmets on the works. So they're actually there in your body to break down and disseminate and distribute whatever it is you're eating. And I, 
if you were thinking about your body as a factory, just imagine this. Would it be fair to give all the work to one section of the factory? And would it be fair to give them all the work in one go? You know, so what I mean by that, and would it, what if you, you got all your food combinations mixed up and you pour food combining, which is cheese on bread with ham and tomato. I'm just going to use that example. Yep. That's, a, that's a disaster, by the way, because if you can imagine your employees receiving that at the job site, there's going to be some arguing over who's going to deal with the cheese, who's going to deal with the ham, who's going to deal with the bread and who's going to deal with the tomato. When that argument's happening, there's a delay. When there's a delay in the factory, there's fermentation, there's burping and belching and bloat. When there's burping and belching and bloat, there's fatigue. When there's fatigue, there's an allergy that can develop or sleep or weight gain. And the worst one, maybe it's not the worst one, is not having that magic vibrancy, that creative energy. Some of my best work, the best work that I've ever done is I've gone away, I've sent myself to a little place in the hills and I've had nothing but green apples and barley grass. And because I've not really fasted, I'm still nourishing, I'm taking in food that gets broken down in the bloodstream really quickly so my creativity is up. I'm not blocked. So if you want to really open up your frequency, you eat these live foods because your factory can handle the instructions when you don't change the structure of the food too much. And, and Sandra, a lot of the work I'm doing with clients at the moment, and I'll write a chapter on this in the next book, is about mono-eating, mono-eating. Mm. That means... You wake up in the morning, you have a banana, if at all. You might intermittently fast on that day. And then not long after you've had the banana, you might have an apple. Not long after you've had the apple, you might have an avocado. And you're eating these one foods at a time. And your internal employees go, oh, this is great. At last, at last she's giving me something without too many complications. What we've done as a race, human beings, we have master chef our meals. <laughs> and you know what I'm saying? And because we've master chef our meals, I always say hours of toil in the kitchen means hours of toil in the digestive system. Well, I, I'm I'm pleased this, this uh, conversation is going this way because I believe that there's so many people out here uh, that will watch this, whether they're watching the replay, they're watching us live, that will. Um, that will gain something from this because it's it's interesting and I'm learning something too. You're not telling me something that I'm going, no, that's not right because I did a 14-day water fast. Actually, I, I fasted for nearly 20 days. So it's 16. All I drank was water for 16 wow. days. And um, I woke up one morning and said, oh, I'm going to do this. <laughs> and, and Rebecca and I, we did it together. Um, we, we got through it where we wanted to do it for 20 days to reset the body, but the body doesn't need the food that we think it needs. That's right. That's and right. I, and we, we just drank water all the time when we like, and we did a little bit of exercise as well. Uh, as times we got weak, but it cleared out. I had, I had my eyes um, 
tested before, had my eyes tested after. And what it cleared out was amazing, which showed me that it is food, the food that we eat is the disease that goes into our body. Yeah, it is. It is, Sandra. And I just, I love that that you did that because that's that's going to free up your creativity. I always say to people, anytime you feel you need just to shift state, we, we teach this in the retreats and we give people nothing but pure food don't overdo it we don't um it's not huge it's a good amount of food but it's not a lot of food and we explain why we teach them to eat in a way that they are nourishing their body and their mind um, and, I, and unfortunately we've gone off the track because we're living in times now where everyone wants things quickly yes you know fast food so even though i'm suggesting eating mono mono eating can be healthy fast food because it doesn't require any energy to put together. I mean, I can cut a banana up, I can cut a, a passion fruit up, scoop the pulp out, put it on the banana, and I've master chef my banana. <laughs> well, you've pimped it up, or you've pimped it up. So, you know, and, 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 I, and I think that's important because Mother Earth supplies us with everything we need, whether it's oils to heal. Everything we yeah. need for any sickness or what we need, it is here. We don't need to yeah. bring in any outside stuff. And um, I have for, for probably for 10, 15 years, I've been a really big thing on not having a lot of, pro I don't have processed food in my cupboard. I don't open up a packet and cook. If I want to cook something, I cook it from scratch. I don't add um, any processed food because if it sits on a shelf in a supermarket, then it's not healthy for you because it's been sitting there for a long time. It has. And then, and that's true. And then I don't pick people up about it because I, I really pride myself on when people come to see me for a consultation. It's not me being laying down the law to them or being some sort of a guru. The first thing I do is I disarm and I let them know that I love chocolate. I love chocolate. Have a little bit of chocolate every now and then. I'm not excessive. And you can see people just relax. Oh, that means she's, she's going to tell me I don't have to give up chocolate. I say, no, you don't have to give up chocolate. Your body is going to tell you what you could do without. But in order for you to tune into the frequency of your own body, you've got to give it a rest and then yeah. you reintroduce, like what you did with your water fast. Then yeah. as you introduce foods, I mean, what was your first bit of fruit like after that water fast? Well, I had a tomato and uh, and I, we went to, we went to the markets at Kiwana because you live on the sunny you, you live here on the sunny coast. We went to the farmers market at at um, Kiwana and we walked through the front gate and this is like they have got apples cut up, they had tomatoes cut up, and I tell you what, it was the most amazing tasting tomato I have ever ever tasted. And okay. it, it was just like wow, this food tastes real good, and I think. When we pile our plates up, we actually don't taste the food and we don't connect in with the food. And when we eat, and when we eat a certain way, we can actually get the love from the food. And I know a lot of people say love. You know, if you're creating something and you're salivating with it, and I follow an amazing chef in Bali, but she always talks about salivation and and whole food and feeling that feeding the organs and everything. And if we eat knowing that we're feeding and loving our body and loving our temple, whatever people um, want to call it, 
we're then connected with it we appreciate it we thank it because plants are still a living being whether they're whether it's animal whether it's a plant it's a living being that's actually given up their life for us to live and yeah. eat yeah you're spot on about that i did a i did a 10-day tissue cleanse uh, with Jenny Edgeley in 1998. I didn't know her. She used to live in Townsville. Yeah, she's amazing. Jenny um, ran a facility called the Hideaway Sanctuary, which was in the foothills of um, Mount Tambrin or Narang, somewhere like that, up in the Gold Coast Hills. And um, Jenny actually inspired me because she was like where I am now back then. So what I mean by that, she'd actually gone right through all the body stuff. She was all over that. And then she started talking about the human being walking around in their spacesuits. So she started to get a little bit like spacey the way she was speaking. But what she was saying was, she was saying, I, I respect everything about nutrition. I respect that we've all got to put tubes up our backsides at some stage and clean out all of that uh, colon debris which is what I did. But then there's all the, the the mind stuff as well, the way we are talking to ourselves in our heads and the way other people will see us because of the way we talk. She went through all that. She was talking about that back in 1998. She was ahead of her time. So after that 10-day tissue cleanse, see that? Yep, I'm just going to bring that up. I was, if you've got in ahead of me, that's good. Well, the basically... The poo and you. Yeah, I wrote the poo and you, but... When you said that about your tomato, wow, the first food we had after this cleanse for 10 days, all we're doing is putting water up our backsides and we're taking chlorella and we are doing these sun baths and having laughs and having little hot baths or steam baths in the teepee, you know, doing sweat lodge stuff. After that, the first feast we had, I have to say, I didn't even feel like eating. I was enjoying the high so much of this, of just the nutrition of, of air and water that when the food was laid out, it almost felt weird to, to eat again. But the food, it just tasted remarkable. So if we're on this journey of finding health and wellness back in our bodies again, we need to allow ourselves that experience as part of our commitment to cellular renewal that's how i look at it so at some point we need to say i'm going to go without food for a day or two you're not going to die it's housekeeping all right no one's going to die make sure you're hydrated make sure you're resting and then at the end of that congratulate yourself for your first 24 hours of just maybe water rest and sunshine and then introduce a very simple food and you'll find that you'll really tune into what you need. That's the whole idea of it. It's not so much about deprivation or it's not about deprivation. It's about reinventing yourself on a cellular level. And then the mental stuff comes in. And I'm so glad I did all that. It's like it's so funny watching the young ones doing it now, you know. They're all doing it on the digital, you know, platform. Like I just did a training video today Sandra where I was talking to a lot of the people that I've introduced to the essential oils so I was doing a training video to them and letting them know that in the early days for me I I didn't use anything digital I just did the old-fashioned thing I spent time with another human being face yeah. to face skin cell to skin cell 
um, eyeball to eyeball, and then it just grew. And and I learn a lot about people through being with them. And I also know that through all that, that I don't need to be around a lot of people to heal myself. It's good to remove myself. And I know you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yes. For the next stage, to be creative and to become brilliant, you need your time out. So this um, self-isolation, some people will be incredibly challenged by being in an environment where there's four walls around them and they may, they, I don't, you know, I can't see how they could be challenged, really. They've got their digital, they've got their phones, they've got their computers, they've got their TVs, they've got refrigerators. I mean, really, but still they will be challenged because they're in an environment which is forcing them to either be still and to look at themselves a little bit deeply or to maybe think about somebody else. Oh, surprise, surprise, you know. That's what I, uh, for me personally, I'm loving this um, forced, uh, if you can call it an isolation, I mean, I can walk down the end of my street and I'm on a canal, I can step outside my um, my, my back door and I, I've got a swimming pool there and, and a nice um, cola or go out the front and I can stand on the grass. Uh, we can still get in our cars here in Australia and, and here on the Sunshine Coast and, and drive to the beach. But what it's done for me this time has 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 given me the time to be incredibly creative, yeah. and um, look because I I knew last year to um, in at, in the end of last year that something like this was coming to the planet. So I personally did a deep dive to clear all as much shit as I could to be prepared for when this came. So when when we got to this point as a as um, in humanity and as a planet it. it was going through stuff that I would be okay with it and I don't have any fear around it yes my business has taken a bit of a dive and all of that but you know it's just freaking materialistic stuff at the end of the day and if I want something I just say okay I really want this and it just appears because I believe in it and I and I know that we are as humans we're more powerful than what we give ourselves credit for and it's not all this woohoo stuff or whatever we have all these amazing powers whether it's food or the food that we eat when we combine it with the, with the food we eat and other things that we do it opens up a gateway and this isolation is asking us to open up to the greater potential that we are as humans and to be more loving every time thank you every time i've either created it or it's been forced upon me to take myself away from mainstream or just step back, something beautiful's happened. So in the raw. Yeah, that's it. Bring it, just bring it a little, that's it. So in the raw was created because I went away and did a two-week cleanse with Dr. John Fielder up in Closey River in North Queensland in 1992 in winter in june oh big bit cold <laughs> it was cold up there but john introduced us to this amazing lifestyle and it was very simple you know i went up there i thought health retreat yay there's no spa there's no beautiful lounge there's no dvds there's no music or movies or music um and it was a pretty rustic environment you know a couple of single beds with, with mattresses at the time, God involved mattresses were. 
but you know, the sheets were okay, they were clean, so it was very rusty. And for two weeks, the first meal was 11.30, quarter to 12, so no breakfast. So he had us intermittently fasting because our next meal was 4.30, 5 o'clock. So the first meal was a fruit platter with these goodie balls and custard apples and pawpaw, mono fruits, lychees. Everything was grown on the property, everything. The second meal was greens with salad greens, it was um, coconut, it was another couple of goodie balls, it was like salad, tomato, avocado. That was it. And then in between the midday meal and the 4.30 p.m. meal, you sunbaked, you read, or in my case, I walked and I wrote. And I, the writing that came out of me was prolific. And basically in the raw was born. And then we launched in the raw in North Queensland on um, the third month of 1993. And I remember it because I catered for it and I invited hundreds, of, about 133 people rocked up to the venue. We had a lovely, beautiful, balmy music playing and, I'd, and I had two girls on juices. So we were juicing carrot juices and I'm sharing this with you because we were introducing food to the majority of the people there had never thought of raw food as something. It was sort of a salad as something on the side. So I created a banquet and that's how I launched the book, the concept of raw foods. It was, it still is, it's the first raw food book in Australia. There was nothing available in Australia and it was printed in cans. So was employing Australian printers. That was another thing. I had people saying to me, get your book printed overseas, Annie. I said, no, I don't want to do that. I want to print the book in Australia. Oh, it's going to cost you more. I said, I don't care. I'll pay more. I'll get the book printed in Australia. And that was really important to me then. It's my only political statement. and That's why I'm big, <laughs> I'm big on manufacturing here in this country, if we can. Yeah. So... Uh, um, in the raw had a message, Sandra. You know? It wasn't just about a salad. It was about sunbathing and it was about being nice to another human being. There's a big message about that in the book as well. You know, that's part of healing. And I think that's that, and that's really important, um, um, Annie, because we don't realise that when we're when we're not nice to another human being, that is actually causes disease in the body. It causes disease in our own body. It causes it can cause disease in their body, and uh, a lot of a lot of stuff isn't actually what we eat. It's also what emotionally what we and the vibration that we um, that goes with it. So it, yeah, I, I I know the Italians are really good good at it because they always cook with love. Every you know you go to an Italian family and it's. Just you know, I love come in and eat, and and their food is always cooked cooked with love. And I think we in Australia at times we just slap something on the plate and go here, you know, and it makes a big difference in how we how we prepare our food as well. Sandra, I was raised in a household where, as you you heard, my mum she burnt the lamb chops. She was beautiful, but she was a wonderful dessert maker. Wonderful. So us kids, we always got dessert ice cream and fruit or some sort of cake that she'd made. So we all grew up sweet tooths, basically. Um, all of us were um, athletic. 
which was a good thing. We had to be, we had to walk to school. Didn't hurt us, you know. So that that was inbuilt in us. But I know, I know that we're all we all had food comas. I know my brothers used to pass out, you know. <laughs> yeah, so it happens on Christmas Day, isn't it? We all yeah, everyone fills up. I remember um, when I was a kid, Christmas Day, yeah, everyone, and then it'd be like, oh, I'm just going, I need to sleep now. And it's like, that's it. Not, yeah, yeah. It, because we're just so full of over um, filled with, with food. So the next thing I'd like to ask you, Annie, is I know you've written, what drove you to write books? I think wanting to, I think I said to you the other day that. I wasn't a very good student. I spent all of my education pretty much outside the office. <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> Counting tiles, 2,556 tiles outside the office. And the nun, I, I loved her. Sister Joan, one day she came out to me and said, what are you doing, Annie, you know? Why am I seeing you outside the office all the time? Yeah, you're wasting your parents' time. You're wasting your time. What are you doing? And I said, well, you guys don't know how to teach me. You don't know how to teach me. And I don't know how to sit still in a classroom where the lessons are not stimulating. Now, I said that not like that. I said that as a 12-year-old, which would have sounded really stupid. But that was what I was trying to say. You get me? Yep, yeah, yeah, sure do. A couple of years later, um, they decided to expel me. Now, that is exactly what happened. I'm not proud of that because I kept playing up. But rather than expel me in, in a nasty way, they suggested to my mother, who begged them to keep me until the end of the year so I could go on the school excursion to Tasmania. <laughs> right, she goes to Tasmania if, she, if she's a good kid, if she doesn't disrupt the classroom because I was disrupted. So I didn't disrupt. I Somehow I held it together. Isn't that interesting? Because I wanted to go to Tasmania. I didn't want to miss out on that school excursion. So I had a mission. So after I went to Tasmania, I came back, mucked around again, and, and they said, right, you're out. So I went to a tech school. And in the tech school, I learned to type, right? I learned business. I learned bookkeeping, typing. But I'm looking at the girls on the train on the way to the tech school and they're all talking about their art portfolios. I wanted to do art and I'm on this train on the way to tech school to learn to type. But I remember my father saying, get the skill, Annie, learn to type because you'll be able to use that to do something that you love. And I'm thinking, really? Typing? Bookkeeping? How is that going to help me to do something I love? So it did. Because remember I told you I ended up working in an office. Yeah. Right? Well, I've got nothing to do. I was typing a book. One thing led to another. I worked in the health food shops, writing books, cut a long story, and bring it down to the real reason was meant that I could put something down that would mean something to someone else. It would be my love language back to you, Sandra, yeah. to anyone wanted to learn from me well things that I've observed I've got a brain you know I'm actually I'm at peace with myself now I can see that I've got so many gifts that I know how to explain to people in a way that they get it and, and so that needs to come out in the book 
that is that's really important because a lot of people don't cannot write in plain basic english and um i totally get what what you're saying because i only went to school to year 10 i didn't pass i failed um and spelling and writing hasn't been something that was that that, I, that i'm that i'm good at but i've, I've learnt to, to 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 um to become better at it and when i try and write in big fan i can't write it i've just got to write it the way that people are going to explain it that you can explain it to someone in plain basic english and i and i truly believe that even though we beat ourselves up sometimes thinking that we cannot write or we're not as articulated as anybody else people don't want that the people that want us want it in plain basic english so they can understand it and some of the analogies that you give are just so easy to understand and explain and that's a gift yeah it has to be but there was one man that I met, his name was Bryce Courtney. I met Bryce at a book signing event in Sydney and he was signing the book April Fool's Day. Do you remember that book? No. It's a, it's a book about his son who died of AIDS and uh, he was there signing that book. And I sent him, I sent to Bryce Courtney one of my oh, books. Oh, I know Bryce Courtney but I didn't know he wrote April Fool's Day. I've read a lot of his books but not that one. He wrote The Power of One. Yeah, beautiful book. Oh, my gosh. So, anyway, I sent him a copy of a book that I wrote called Jump for Joy, illustrated by some of the illustrations were by a girl that was a heroin addict, incidentally. So a lot of people can get involved with your projects. You just never know. So I sent him a copy of Jump for Joy, funny little book. And I just, I, I was in the queue and I had my book and he was you know, about to sign it, and I said, oh, hello, you know, Mr Courtney, how are you? And he said, oh, call me Bryce. He looked at me, I kid you not, Sandra, and he said, you're Annie. And I said, how, how do you know me? He said, you sent me a book, Jump for Joy. Oh, can you imagine that? I said, oh, yes, I did, sir, you know, it's like you know, I was revering him. And he said, Annie, this is how powerful this is. He said, you keep writing, girl. You're a good writer. You've got some things to say. Can you imagine how that felt, hearing that from a, a man that's in publishing and printing? Like him or not, he wrote some amazing books. He knew me. He remembered, you know, because yeah. he asked me my name. You know, he looked up at me and I go, Annie Clark. He goes, Annie Clark. Jump for joy, you know. And it was just, and he probably looked at my picture and probably worked it out. So I was very blessed that he, but it was the words he said. And this is important, Sandra, because there are going to be people that are watching this interview now that have something in them, some sort of brilliance, something about them that is so valuable, but it hasn't been recognised. And all it will take is a few words of encouragement. And this is also about being authentic. When I was selling my little book, Good Health Recipes from Breakfast to Tea, all over Melbourne. I worked in a health food shop across the road from the post office. I would go over the post office every day with a little brown envelope of a book that someone had ordered that I had to post. And the guy behind the desk in the post office there looked at me one day and he said, you're going to influence a lot of people. See, that those words, it gave me encouragement. Like he said it in a beautiful manner, just like Bryce Courtney said, keep writing, girl. I like your style. 
this is what we do for humanity. So if there is something that you've got within you, and in my case, I can write. I'm not the best writer in the world. Like I said to you, I'm not the best cook. I was definitely not. I'm just, I'm just expressive. I want to express. I want to matter. I want to bring something to people that's valuable, that's useful for them. And the essential oils are part of that. And, and that's 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 important. And, and recently, I wrote a chapter in a, in a in a book called Change Makers, and we went to we went to number one bestseller. And that's sharing my story, part of my story. And it was for me. I I went through so much, and I've been writing a few articles for Holistic Bliss, like I know that you do. But even putting an article in Holistic Bliss was like, oh my god, is and and and, and like Vanessa. Vanessa is an amazing, loving human being. But the first thing was, is my writing going to be good enough? Is it going to be accepted? What are people going to think? And because um, I write very differently to everybody else. And she's just like, I just love what you write. And same with my um, my chapter. I got someone to edit it and, and, and you know, bring it up to, 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 a little, to do a little bit of work on it for me. But when people say, when you do get that feedback, it's like, really oh okay and it encourages you to keep to keep going whereas now i know that i will write a book yes. um, and i will write many books yes but you've just got to start and it's like when we do these interviews and we do lives and that it's just get having the courage to to get up and and have a conversation and all you and i are having is a conversation and that's people don't want the professional that this we're in a time of on the planet now and humanity where all that smoke and all that mirror and, and all of that, people want authenticity. They want to know who, who the real Annie is. They want to know who the real Sandra is. And, you know, we can be messy. We can be great. We can be all those sorts of things. But, you know, we're mothers. We're, um, you're, you're a wife. I'm an ex-wife. I've got children. You've got children. We've got animals, you know, property. You know, we, we, we stuff up at times. We're not perfect because yeah. we're human. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, when we were talking about fear before, um, one of the things I did was I decided I was going to learn to fly, like fly an aeroplane. I don't know whether I told you this story, but uh, I did a talk about it. You know, it's a ninth flying lesson. And Damien, my instructor, he looks at me and says, Annie, um, today I'm going to show you how to land on grass. And I'm thinking, why would you want to show me how to land on grass? He says, oh, well, you know, invariably, you know, an emergency. And I thought, I don't want to be flying an aeroplane. I don't want to be flying. I don't want to be the person responsible for landing an aeroplane. Four goes to get my driver's license. How in the hell am I going to do this? Then I realised something really powerful, that sometimes in life you've got to make up your mind whether you want to be the pilot or the passenger. See, you and I can do a whole talk on this. Do you want to be the pilot or the passenger? So sometimes in your life you have to be the pilot. You have to be the person that takes control, lands the aircraft. And other times it's a good idea that you stay the passenger and let somebody else land the aircraft. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, I, I do. And as I, I say to my clients, you're the captain of your ship. Yeah. So you, can that you can steer your life or your business or whatever you want to do. You're the captain of it. Nobody else has control over what you're doing except you so if you want to steer your boat through stormy waters steer it but if you want to steer it through calm waters it's up to you it's a matter of choice and you can either go that way or that way yeah sometimes though you might have a really good plan 
Don't you know this? That you're, you get, you know that your boat's going to go on the calm waters, but all of a sudden a storm comes up. You started out just like Gilligan's Island. <laughs> giving away my age now on the SS Meadow, remember? I do remember Gilligan's Island quite well, so we're giving, giving away both our ages here, Annie. You're on your SS Meadow. You're out there with Gilligan and Skipper and Mary Ann and Professor. By the way, all of those characters are all of us. I love it. You know? Howard and Howard Thurston. Anyway, so basically you're on your ship and the weather starts to change. And this is why I'm fascinated in adversity. I'm fascinated in people like Captain Sully who landed a plane on the Hudson River. You know, I'm fascinated in people that are able to steady the course when, when, when a disaster could possibly happen. That's the measure of character. And yeah. I think in my life, and I know this is somewhere in our questions that we talked about, like what's next it's it's really about I, i've reached a good place i've reached a good place i'm very grateful for that but it hasn't been easy and i'm glad it hasn't been easy because because it hasn't been easy that's shaped me and it's made me go a certain way you know it's made me the illness as a little girl in hospital like i had tb when i was 12 months i had an abscess of tb that's why I went to Thailand. I literally had my throat recut in Thailand to fix the scar which was causing my skin to go the wrong way. Now I had TB after being immunised, directly after being immunised, which meant for the first 15 years of my life I had a visit to the chest clinic. But I also other had, I had other health issues like bladder and kidney infections, which meant lengthy periods of time in the Austin hospital having internal examinations and it's amazing how much of that I shut out of course I go down the natural health way because I spent a lot of my childhood in hospital and yeah. I I learned enough about that that I thought well I'm going to keep people out of hospital I know what gets them in so I'm going to devote my life to keeping people out of out of hospital unnecessarily. There's no need for people to be going to hospital. Yeah, and which leads me to you now have lifestyle and reset retreats. Why are they so important and relevant today? And then I'd like you to share a little bit about what your amazing husband does and the business that he has, because yeah. I feel in um, it. Uh, what Daryl's, what Daryl does, and what you do is really important. You're both basically into good health, and it's really, really important. So we will finish off with let people what you do, where your retreats are, uh, where they can find you, and um, I'll give you the floor. Yeah, all right. So I call them lifestyle reset retreats. So they're two days, and we take. And it's not just me. I, I get in certain speakers that contribute with their wealth of knowledge to back up the philosophy, which is covering seven principles over two days, breathing, hydration, food combining, mindset, essential oils, because I always say they're essential oils, the word essential in front of oils, it's yeah. not there because it makes the sentence look good. They're essential. So I teach people how to use them intelligently. And then we go over things like movement. Wow. 
So we've got food preparation, movement, hydration, breathing, all of that's covered in depth over those two days. Then the people, they go away with a bounty of gifts from the event that they can use straight away when they get home. So then they don't go home naked. You know how you go to some seminars and you get home and like all yeah. you no, you know what I mean? All you've I been do. all you've been sold or signed up to another seminar that they've got to pay thousands of dollars for down the track. I don't work that way. I want them to go away with exactly what they need. They don't need to put their hands in their pockets for anything else. They've paid the money. They've fronted up. Now they've got the tools when they get home. What Daryl's doing with his business, Damp Solutions Australia, and what he's been doing for the last 20 years, Sandra, so this isn't a fad, is he's been helping people to keep their homes healthy their homes well because it's been recognised that mould and different types of bacteria that are living on the walls and the surfaces of our homes are being ingested into our bodies and they not only do they make us sick but they dull the brain. They're like a, It's like a slow death. So you've got to make sure that you address any damp areas in your home. So he's got dehumidifiers. He's also got air purifiers. So we're big on changing the structure of the air, particularly the internal air. You know, the same sometimes inside the house is more unhealthy than yep. outside the house. And interesting enough, with all this self-isolation and people having to spend time indoors, what they're worried about is, a lot of the asthmatics are very aware of this, is that if they're indoors more often and, the, and there's not enough good ventilation, there's old carpets and old bedding and all of these saboteurs that the person is dealing with, um, coupled with stodgy food, stodged food, pasta, rice, gluten. That's a recipe for disaster. Anyway, air purification. And then he's also got a few essential oils that he recommends specifically to go with those. So, And what would those oils be, Annie? Well, we use oils that basically they're high in phenols, so I'll be straight to the point on that, and they're high, they're what we call anti-catar. The other day I did a lesson on essential oils. I just oil. want you to move over just a little bit. That's so they're anti-catar. So anytime you look at an oil, you look at the botanical name and then you look, oh, antibacteria, anti-catar. So anti-catar oils are like eucalyptus, Spearmint, any of the citrus oils, um, cardamom, um, oh gosh, tea tree, all of these oils, they actually go in and they break up the mucus that sits on the alveoli of the lungs. And that means you'll go like this, you'll have to clear your throat. Or <clears throat> you'll have to clear your throat when you start diffusing these oils because you're shifting something on the lungs. Very important, very important. And I'd, I'd, I'd love to chat with you another night on, on, on oils. I know that you use doTERRA, um, but you, you, it's not for you. And I know that you, you, it, it, that's, that's the oils that, that you use, but anybody that uses pure essential oils um, will benefit from, from, from the conversation. Because and, uh, and I love oils. I mean, I, I, I have Young Living. I have um, a host of different oils, but they're always pure, the oils that, that, that I use and, and where I get them from. 
and um, we can talk about the difference between an essential oil and what the cheap oil that you get you, people get off the um, the shelf. So, um, and that's really important that some oils that they're, they're not pure. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'll show you one more little book. Yep. That, that was something that scared me too. You know when we fire. It's called Walk It Out, a Kokoda experience. Oh, that's Kokoda. Yeah, so I know it's a long way from oils, but it's actually it's bang on. It's to do with everything we've been talking about, and that is every year stretch yourself a little bit. Do something that scares the bejesus out of you. It's good. Well, my brother's walk Kokoda. He's he, he he does a lot of work with um he's um I think the chairman of the Keith Payne um Veterans Association. Um and he, he works very very high up with the government with, with veterans and Keith Payne is a um Bella. I, I I don't know, I don't I don't get involved in his stuff. He's my it's just my brother. But you know, the, the, the that is one of the highest medals you can get in, in, in the war. And Rick, um, I know Rick's done um, Kokoda, uh, and it's not an easy. He said it wasn't. It's not easy. It's um, a little stroll through the forest. <laughs> a little stroll. <laughs> about later, yes. Yeah, so, Annie, where can people find you, and where can they? And and, and if I know if after we finish, that if you send me the link, I'll put I'll, I'll put it up. But uh, because you know. One thing I want to ask you, do you still have those massage things that you used to do or do you not do them anymore? Yeah, I absolutely have the little handheld massages. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was doing a demonstration today actually online. So okay, yeah. I remembered some of the stuff you had on your site. I haven't been there for a while. Yeah, no, I still have the, I've sourced a, a more affordable one. So people can get hold of me by going to my name, which is Anne, A-N-N-E, -N -N -E, and yep. Clark, Clark Noe. Clark.com.au and everything that I'm doing is pretty much up on that website. And then, um, if they want to see the comedy routine, it's also on the website. If they want to, if they just want to reach out and they just want to talk to me, I'm more than happy to do that as well. You know, and are you, do you do Skype sessions? Yeah, I do consultations online. I've got Tuesday to Thursday now for consultations. Um, it was very important to pin it down to specific days uh, so that I could have um, other days for other things. So it only took me 50 years to work that out. But hey, you know. So it, no matter where our viewers are in the world, no matter where they're watching, they can contact you and you can you can get them um, you can get them sorted and um, on on their road to good health. I can. This is a long chat that you and I have done. Well, yep. well I hope that people have been you know, really enjoying this conversation as much as you and I have been enjoying. Oh, I've had a great time. Most most of the most of Vino, um, Vino and chat with Sandra normally goes for an hour, um, and sometimes we 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 thin it in. But we could probably talk here for hours. But I am going to end it at at, at that tonight because I don't like to go past an hour. Um, and um, anyone that wants to get in contact um, with Anne, Annie, because uh, I can't say Anne because Annie know is Annie. Please reach out to her. And um, if you can't find it, message me, but I will put a link up probably tomorrow and um, come back and you let us know what you think, give us some feedback. 
And if, um, I'd love to get um, get Annie back because she's a wealth of knowledge and yeah, we could chat all night. So thank you so much, everyone, for joining us tonight. And I will see you next week where I'm talking to the wonderful Guy Riddell. And I think we're talking about finding your voice. Oh, we'll see. I'll see you then. So thank you, Annie. See you later, love.